Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Psalm 123. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Psalms in your Bible. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. As the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than its fill of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Thank you, Sam. That's the word of the Lord for us. Well, I, I told you, I, I explained lament to the kids kind of poorly, right? It, uh, and, and lament seems like a, uh, a really odd thing to talk about during Advent, right? Because it's a season of joy and, uh, yeah, joy, because that's this week and it's the pink candle and, and all that. And I got to talking to you this morning because I wasn't going to do, I was like, I do things out of order sometimes, especially when I try to fix things. It just, uh, it goes wrong. But I, I decided to, to, we'll weave this back to joy because I think it does work. I think it does work. Next week, we will end up with a little bit more joy um, as we read Psalm 124. Uh, Psalm 123, though, doesn't, doesn't inspire a lot of joy. But I think if you'll stay with me towards the end, we'll, we'll find out uh, where that comes from. Well, we've been using uh, a pil- some pilgrim imagery to talk about our journey towards, towards Christmas. Um, that we uh, kind of imagining ourselves as pilgrims, uh, Israelites, who are making their way to Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel, and the temple where the, the presence of God was, was uh, most fully, they believed, fully there. And so we've, we've anticipated this walk where we've imagined what it would be like to travel with a bunch of folks through dusty roads, roads and to uh, approach the city and look up uh, and see the, the, the temple in all of its glory and things like that and to enter into the city uh, with hope. Hope that is built uh, not on nothing but on, on the past acts and faithfulness of God. That Israel continued to have faith as they came into uh, into the to the to the city because of what God had already done throughout history, uh, not just Israel's history, but through all of creation. The God in God's faithfulness is is committed to His beloved creation, and that's you and me. He's committed to taking it and to redeeming it, to take the mess that we've made it into uh, and to fix it. And so it was with hope that we came into the city. Uh, we, we, um, last week, though, um, we entered in and we kind of gathered closer to the, to the temple and, and we confessed, though, that, that in the midst of our hope for what God is doing, that the world is not always at peace. Uh, that, that our lives, um, our relationships are often ruled by conflict and division. And we confessed, we confessed that fact, that we, we long for God to come and intervene and to bring peace here uh, on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, so we, we, uh, we said, though, 
And, and we've said this a couple of weeks leading up to Advent even, uh, that we sometimes have a hard time imagining the world as differently than it currently is. Uh, we suffer from a, a lack of imagination for what God is able to do in us and among us and what, but through us in our community. And so uh, as we say every week, um, as we leave this place, we believe our God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Uh, but that's where our, our hope is rooted. That's where our longing for peace is rooted in, in our ability to, to begin to see the things that God is, uh, God is doing. Well, we continue to um, use this pilgrim imagery, and uh, I wanted to imagine for us, we are, uh, we are in the temple complex. Now, the temple had a couple of different courts that you, uh, you could go in. There was a court of Gentiles, so if you weren't Jewish, uh, but maybe you, you wanted to worship, um, you could be in that area. Uh, and then after that, there was a court of women. Um, sorry, ladies, you couldn't get as close as the men. And so uh, they couldn't go any farther than that. And then there was a court of, of men that were as closest to the, the inner part of the temple as you could be, uh, where the men would, would worship. And then there was the, the, the inner part, the Holy of Holies, where uh, priests would only go into the Holy of Holies like once a year to offer, to offer sacrifice. Uh, so we are pretending, imagining, if you will, that we are inside the temple area. And uh, we, have, we have viewed it from afar, but now we, we see it up close. And we are, uh, we are taken in by its, uh, its majesty and its grandeur, um, the sacredness of the place, uh, the, the weight, if you will, of what is happening there, of, of what God is doing in that midst. Uh, fun fact is that the, the Old Testament Hebrew word, for glory uh, is actually weight, like it's, it's heaviness. Uh, the, the glory of God is, is significant. It has heft, if you will. Uh, that's kind of how they would have imagined it. And so we are in the presence of God, and we are feeling the weight of the, and significance of the sacredness of the place. And uh, uh, it is in this, uh, it is in this moment that we are, uh, well, maybe we are with by ourselves, we're thinking of this, or maybe as a group of us who have journeyed towards the temple, we begin to sing or say this psalm. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. As the eyes of servants look up to the hands of their masters and the eyes of the maid to the hand of their mistress, so the eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy upon us. Uh, we've confessed like the world is not full of peace. And, and we experience that in, in our very bones. Like, I don't know if you have moments like this or have had moments like this where uh, at the very core of who you are, you are, are, are shaken. Um, that, that peace is, is lacking and, and it is, uh, well, it's just rough. And, and, and you're, you're thinking to yourself, I have absolutely no idea how I'm going to get through this or to do this or whatever it is. And, and I think this is what's happening in the psalm. The psalmist comes in and, and they've looked over uh, their country that is ruled by uh, another, another country, the Romans, and, or at this time maybe we're imagining ourselves kind of close to Jesus' day, at least I am. 
um, but that hasn't been really in charge of itself for a long time. People who have been oppressed and, and destroyed and, and they have only one place to look. And that's up. <laughs> to you, they say, oh God. You who are enthroned in the heavens. I lift my eyes. Um, I wonder if there's, there's a feeling in all of us uh, that we intuitively know, perhaps, although I, I think we forget maybe, that we intuitively know that, that our salvation needs to come from someone else or somewhere else. Uh, that there is someone other, uh, and we name that as God, right, from, from outside of us who, who is the only one who is going to be able to offer us salvation in, in the fullest possible way. And I think this is why, I think I've said this before, I think this is why we like superheroes, Right? Uh, because superheroes, they're, they're like humans, but they're not, right? Thor, he's, he's a, like a demigod, right? Superman, he's an alien who has, uh, you know, intense power because of our sun. Spider-Man, he's, he's not quite human because he got bit by a radioactive spider. Nobody likes Batman, I think, because Batman is just a man. <laughs> you, you, you disagree? No. He does. He does. Uh, I probably spend too much time thinking about things that don't matter, like superheroes. Uh, but but I think I think it, maybe it's the the point. There's in the original Superman movie, one of them anyway. Uh, there is this moment where uh, and I haven't watched it in a while, but but Superman he's he goes up actually into space. He's getting away from something, and he hangs there a, in a moment, and he is just kind of hanging there like this, and. Uh, if I remember correctly. And, and, the, and the moment is powerful. I, I think it, it points to the fact that, that we know intuitively that salvation comes not from, from us, but it comes from outside. It, it comes from well, what we are going to confess on Christmas, that it comes from someone who is God, right? But God who has come and become one of us, fully us and fully God, uh, to bring about the restoration of creation. Well, uh, verse 2 then uh, changes the image. Well, not really changes the image. It expands on it a little bit. As the eyes of servants look to the hands of their masters, as the eyes of maids to the hand of their mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. I, I, th- I think we have a hard time maybe with this image. Um, because I think it, um, the American dream is to be the master, right? It is, it is to be the one who is in charge, not, not to be uh, the servant or the maid. Uh, and so I think this, we, we may react against this image in a, in a significant way because well, we don't want to be in a place of, of servitude or uh, lowliness. But this is what Israel is recognizing about themselves and their relationship to the God who created everything. They have understood that they are small and powerless and insignificant. Not, not in, a, in a petty kind of way, but in comparison to the God who created everything. Uh, in comparison to the God who will come and bring salvation. It, it's a very specific posture. I, we think about it in in physical terms, right? Like, uh, your kids look up at you. 
needing help. Uh, the movement from low to high, I think, is important. But, but I think that we struggle with it uh, because we don't want to think that we're small. And we don't want to think that we're insignificant. And we don't want to think that we are powerless because we want to be our own saviors even though we know that maybe we can't be. Uh, we had a discussion about this uh, in the Bible study and uh, I realized that I was thinking one thing, uh, what I wanted them to think as we talked about this particular passage and uh, for whatever reason, I, they weren't thinking it. And so I, I told them a story and I only have stories that are good that are about me. I apologize for that. But this, I think, I think the story illustrates um, the depth of maybe the emotion that I think is happening in this moment. Uh, before I came here five years ago, I, passed, I was a youth pastor in another church uh, in another city. And we had just, our pastor had just left. I was uh, youth and I did some other things. Uh, there's that line that's in, in every job description that's like, and anything else we want you to do. That was, that was me. Um, and so a uh, pastor had left that had hired me, and a new pastor came in, and he was actually a friend of mine, um, and he had attended the church for uh, a couple of years. Anyway, they, I didn't want the job, and they gave the job to him, and it was good. He's a, he's a pastor. And uh, he asked me to stay on uh, to, to expand my role to oversee the children's department, uh, along with the youth and the adults, actually. So it was kind of more of a discipleship pastor than anything else at that moment. Uh, there was an individual, though, within the congregation that uh, was deeply broken. And, and I had already, working with this person, experienced a, a, a bit of conflict. And I knew that, that if I were to continue in that particular role, uh, that it was going to be very difficult. Uh, that it was going to lead to to more conflict, regardless of how well I, I might have done things. And so I said, okay, all right, I'll do it. Uh, I'll do it, but you have to promise me that you will have my back. Like, that you will, you will support me when things go rough. And he was like, you got it. Okay, good. Like, yes. Um, because our kids, they weren't really learning anything. It's, it's a whole other story. Well, time goes by, a couple years, and um, what I had feared happened, happened. He was, it was rough. Uh, and it was destroying me in a rather significant way, just emotionally, spiritually. And uh, I, I feel it now even, but uh, there were so many times where I walked into my pastor's office and I, I lifted my eyes to him, needing help. Uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like this. I, 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 everything in my being was, was getting broken if it wasn't already. And I needed, I looked to him as a, as a servant looks to his master. And uh, help never came. That's, that's another story. 
But, but it's just, it, for me, I, I think I read this passage and I, I feel it so very deeply. I, I feel like it, whether you maybe want to admit it or not, like you've been in those positions, either in relationship with someone else or because of something that has happened externally that you can't deal with or help and, and, and you have nowhere to, to look but up and to say, God, this is awful. This is terrible. This is wrong. Uh, I, I, need, I need help. Uh, before that, I was thinking that um, this is how we look at God sometimes. This is, this is the nagging uh, image that my wife always sends me when she wants me to do something. Nag, nag, nag. It, it doesn't seem so appropriate right now. Maybe I shouldn't have showed it, but I, I think maybe it highlights another point. Uh, that, that our gaze in this moment, in the place where God's presence is, our gaze is fixed to God, knowing in hope uh, that God looks at us. We'll do that. That God looks at us with love and with care and with empathy and sympathy and compassion and says, yes, I know. I know you are broken in every single way and I'm coming. Have mercy upon us, verse 3. Oh Lord, have mercy upon us for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than its fill. The scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. In that moment, looking up at God, and this is what I think in poetic terms Israel is doing. They are screaming and looking and saying, we have had enough. We cannot do it. We cannot stand it. We cannot fix it on our own help. By the way, I think help is a really great prayer. <laughs> doesn't need anything else. Uh, doesn't need, in, those, in those darkest of moments, I, uh, I want us to notice one other thing, though. Uh, well, I think it's important to, to point out, I, I don't think that they're looking for mercy from God's judgment. Uh, there are plenty of opportunities in the Old Testament where Israel calls, calls out to God for him to relent from the punishment that they so, so much deserve. I don't think that's what's happening. Uh, I, I think what's happening is that... that um, it's the brokenness of the world. It's the, the lack of peace. It's the conflict. It's the strife. And so I think in, in, in a significant way, Israel is lamenting about something that is quite universal to us. It's this, this brokenness of the world around us. I want us to look too, though, uh, and note that the the pronouns have shifted. And I know it's, again, I spend too much time thinking about things that, that other people don't necessarily 
Pronouns are important in things like this. <laughs> the shift from I to us. Uh, they're not just thinking, it's not just themselves as individuals who need God's saving. It is them as a people. Uh, longing for God to work. Uh, do you guys remember the show Lost? Like 2007 ish. It, it was such a weird. It was such a weird phenomenon. It, it, it aired on Wednesday nights, and I would have parents like waiting at the door after youth group to grab their kids so they could go home and not miss Lost. That was before you could watch it anytime you wanted on the internet. You might have been able to get a DVD from Netflix at that point, or your public library. Uh, but it, early on in the series, you know, there's this plane crash that happens on a deserted island, and one of the characters, uh, there's a lot of fighting and conflict as they're trying to figure out how to live, and there's dangerous things on the island. And I believe his name was Jack. He gets up in front of everybody. He's like, we're going to have to find a way to live together or we will die alone. It's amazing how you watch one thing and it can stick with you like for that long. But I think, I think that this is this is part of what is happening. The, the Israel is, is recognizing as they come to the temple to worship that they are, they are in this suffering and lament. They are in the oppression and injustice, not by themselves, but, but together. And they lift up their voice as a people, us, together, confessing their smallness and their insignificance and their need for salvation from God, for God to come into the situation and renew and restore it. They're learning to live together so they don't have to die alone. I think what this means for us is that this is, well, this is how we should be as well. That as you, you think about church and, and even just our community around us, like the, that in our, in our brokenness that we cry out together not as isolated individuals, but as members of a community of faith who deeply believe that God is coming. And that we know that we are going to live together. And in that life together, maybe this is aspirational. It's something we're, I think we're working for anyway. It's what I need. So we will live together. We will end together. We will not face whatever is at the end, death. We will not face it alone. Now, uh, I, I think this is, I'm going to try to try it back here. Uh, lament can be a powerful tool in dealing with life's distressing times. Um, it's used frequently in the Bible and many times in the Psalms as a way of crying out to God for salvation. But it's more than just com- complaining. Lament doesn't just name the problem, allowing the one lamenting to sit and wallow in their misfortune. I think that's really important. We're not just complaining to God for complaining's sake. Lament names and calls out the evil and injustice in the world and expresses a quiet hope about who will come to fix it. Lament is about being seen and heard being seen and heard to 
together. In confidence, uh, even though the, the psalm doesn't end on a cheery note, the psalmist lifts up his, his or her eyes to the Lord, the only one capable of bringing mercy and relief. Uh, yet the psalmist does not lament or hope alone. The psalmist is strengthened by the presence of her, his or her fellow pilgrims. They have journeyed this far to a place where God's presence resides, and now they can unburden themselves of all that weighs them down. I think they've come into the temple, and they have confessed, and they have lamented, and now they have taken all of that weight, and they have placed it before the altar, and saying, I'm, I'm done with it. Uh, or at very least that we, we come to this place together and we say, my load's not quite as heavy as yours. Let me help you. Um, I, I, I feel deeply that this is, I think this is where, I think this is where the, the joy is. Or where it can be. As we learn to do this as a community of people who love Jesus and love our neighbors, that, that our lament can be on behalf of those around us. Um, that we, we journey with and we take this good news that, about Jesus Christ being born that we're, we're anticipating so much and this good news about Jesus coming back to fix all things and we proclaim it, not just in word, but in deed as well. And we might say again, your burden, my burden isn't as heavy as yours. Let us, let us help. This is, I, I think, I, I believe this is part of the purpose of the church. Uh, that we don't just tell people about Jesus as much as I want that to happen but that we, well, we are Jesus to them. That seems in insignificant. But that we lament with them. Uh, that we go to a place where they might unburden those things, where they might also join in the confident hope about the one who is coming to make all things new. We do this together. As we enter the third week of Advent, we do as the psalmist has done. We have journeyed with each other to this place to lift our voices and our eyes to the God of the universe. We name the injustice, the hurt, and the pain from which we suffer. But we do so in confidence that mercy and healing are on the horizon. Uh, we do so knowing that the one whose birth we eagerly anticipate is the beginning and the end the Lord of creation, the suffering servant, the crucified and yet resurrected Savior of the world. Uh, I hope. Uh, it doesn't seem joyful, right? <laughs> but the joy that we have a place to go, that we have a hope, that we can anticipate the peace of God reigning in our world, that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain and agony and conflict, we can rejoice in the fact that God is still faithful.
God will always be faithful. That God is coming to make all things right. Uh, I want us today uh, to, to think of our coming forward to this meal, to, to be about lament of all that's wrong with the world, all that's wrong with us and our lives, but that as we take the bread and the juice, that as we take it, we unburden ourselves of all of those things, that we lift up our eyes to the creator of the heavens and earth and say, I cannot do it. I'm not strong enough. I'm not big enough. And that we might give ourselves completely over to this God who creates us and loves us and is faithful to us. And then as we are, as we are nourished by this meal, we are then propelled out into our world. to call others, to name other people's hurt and their brokenness, to lament with them, but then to help unburden them as well. Uh, So that we might eagerly anticipate the coming of our salvation together. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.